This is the Life Church Reno podcast. Here at Life Church Reno, we love God, love others, and make a difference. For more information, visit lifechurchreno.com. From wherever you're listening, we pray that this message impacts you. Good morning, Life Church. Hey, uh, so glad you came on this busy weekend as we get ready to celebrate our nation and its independence. Uh, may we never, ever be independent of Jesus. I, I don't know if you guys have noticed, maybe this is I, probably, I, you, you're pretty alert. I wear glasses. <laughs> Did, have everyone kind of noticed? I've, I've had them. I've actually worn them uh, for uh, quite, a, quite a while. I, uh, I, I've been looking at the world through these lenses for a very long time. I, I didn't, fortunately, I didn't have to have one when I was a kid. Didn't have to go through that four-eye stage thing, you know. Kids could be so cruel. I got them in college, and um, I almost can't remember doing uh, life without them. I, I can't remember doing life without them, really. Uh, everything, everything before that it is... Uh, it's just fuzzy. No, it's just, it's foggy. I, these are, um, these are actually bifocals. How many know about bifocals? Bifocals happen. They're, um, it, it is so strange being the same age as old people. <laughs> it, it really is. And bifocals just unfortunately is part of that, uh, part of that experience. Um, I don't have a really powerful prescription, but without these bifocals, when I take these things off, I can still tell you're there. I, I just don't know who you are. <laughs> yeah, I put them back on and suddenly some things come into focus. Besides, I've decided I probably look smarter with the glasses on than I do with them off. So I'm looking at the world. I've been looking at the world through these glasses for a long time. But the truth is, and spiritually speaking, every one of us, whether you got a pair of these or not, every one of us has got lenses that we look at the world through. We build them over time. We start when we're children. We we start assembling this this way that we're we're going to see the world, so we can learn how to function in it. We, we have to learn how to maneuver it. And, and so we, we assemble this out of our experience, out of good and out of bad, out of things that happened to us, all kinds of, so we, we have these lenses, and, and these lenses can get really sophisticated the, the more time uh, goes by. I, I can really put something together here that, that is unique, totally unique to me. Or maybe I've just borrowed a set from somebody else. I never bothered to do any heavy lifting myself. I just borrowed somebody else's lenses. When Jesus came, he understood that the lenses that all human beings were looking out through, how they were perceiving the world, were wrong. That they were all foggy, they were all fuzzy, they were all maladjusted. Because what we used to build, our, to build these lenses with was maladjusted. There was enough bruises and, and, and psychological contusions in everybody's life that to survive, we put these glasses on. And, and we look out. Jesus came in order to re 
to, to restart and to give back what God had meant to be in the very beginning. And so we're going to talk just a, a little bit this morning about these, these imperfect lenses that we have created because Jesus dealt with this all the time. When he came, he brought God's presence. He brought God's exact will and purpose. All of those things came with Jesus because man was meant to interpret his world through God's eyes. You got that? But we've adopted, we've stolen so much and and made it our own and tried to improve on it and done all kinds of things. His plan was to save us and to fill us and, and to reshape us until we became like him. The lenses that we use, especially our religious lenses, how we see God and who we think God is, really needed to be adjusted. God had given a lens from the very beginning because God knew, he made it available, because God knew that he was to be the pivotal center of all life. You hear that? God was, he intended to become the pivotal center of all life and everything else was to become marginal. Everything else was extra. Jesus came living in me to make God a reality, but also so that I might be able to see you more clearly. So I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter six. Luke six, we find Jesus again uh, being confronted by some people who really thought that they had this God-pleasing thing nailed. They were pretty sure that God was pleased with them and with nobody else. These were the Sabbath keepers. They they were convinced that that God approved of everything that they did and that they believed. And Jesus confronted these guys again and again. They were so certain that they knew the truth that they couldn't even see God operating right in front of them. How many of you know that sometimes our lenses, our religious lenses, are so dark, we can't even see God. That's what religion does. Religion is disappointing. Religion is a substitute. It was never meant to be in in place of what God had offered us when Jesus came to this earth and God got personal. And he offered to take up occupancy, not at a distance, but in my life. When that happened, everything changed. The lenses changed. And Jesus was dealing with these guys, was dealing with these people who thought they had the lens of all lenses. I, I just want you to consider as we get started in this, to ask the Lord, what lens am I looking through even right now? How, how, what's the lens like that I'm, I'm trying to see God with? Has he given it to me or has that come from some other source? Are there add-ons? Are there things that I've stuck into it that have just really blurred my vision and never really given me an accurate, uh, an accurate take on who God is? See, Luke 6, um, verse 6. On another Sabbath, 
Jesus went into the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was shriveled. The Pharisees, the teachers of the law, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal on the Sabbath. But Jesus knew what they were thinking, and he said to the man with the shriveled hand, get up and stand here in front of everyone. He wanted everybody to see. So he got up and stood there. Then Jesus said, now we're still in the middle of the questions that Jesus asked. That's That is where we're at. So here's my question. Here's the question we're dealing with. I ask you, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to destroy it? And he looked around at at them all, and then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was completely restored. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were furious and began to discuss with one another what they might do to Jesus. Why didn't these guys rejoice when one that was attending the the synagogue, one that they had to have known that he was healed, the rest of his life was going to be different, why weren't they able to rejoice? Because the lens, the religious lens they were looking through was so thick, they couldn't see God. In operation. See, the Pharisees and teachers of law, they had adopted this religious yardstick that they used religiously. It was the, it was the one by which they measured people, and everyone except themselves fell short. Their legalism uh, had turned them into these harsh and judgmental uh, leaders. At the center of this rubric was the Sabbath. The Sabbath uh, uh, They they took ownership of it. It it became their function. It became their identity as the keepers of the Sabbath. The problems were that their hearts were bad. Their hearts were wrong, and they missed God's heart in the Sabbath. Jesus' question challenged the extraordinary amount of add-ons. Anytime anybody gives you a Jesus plus anything, you've just entered into religion. You got it? Jesus plus anything. You got to do this. You got to be baptized by us. You've got to attend that. Whenever there's an add-on that somehow now is affecting your salvation and your relationship with Jesus, you've just stepped into religion. Jesus said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. And he was about to give these boys a spanking. So what Jesus was doing is he was asking them a legal question. These guys should have known the legal answer. His question was not about, his question was really about who has the authority to define the Sabbath and its practice? Who has the authority to do that? Did God authorize them? Was the answer found, uh, was the answer found in all of their behaviors? Or was it found in the one who had created it in the first place? Jesus was not reclaiming it. was was not only reclaiming it to return it to its rightful owner, but he also was throwing down a whole lot of bad practices that had stopped giving life. Here's another way you can always tell when it's religious spirit and not just life. It stops giving life. It doesn't have anything in it that you really need. See, he, Jesus came because he needed to return the Sabbath to its original purpose. 
All right. Now, the question has been, easily been, uh, is, it, is it lawful to do good or evil or to save life or destroy it? That's easy. Everybody, even the Pharisees would have said, oh, that's easy. It's good. We answer, it's, it's good. But that's not what he asked. He was asking about the, the Sabbath legalities. It was centered around this man's healing. That's what generated all of this. And, and asked whether it was lawful. Is it legal? Well, who determines what something legal is? Jesus' determination was that it was the Father. My glasses are slipping down. You were starting to disappear. See, Jesus', Jesus question about whether it's uh, right to do good or evil on the Sabbath day, uh, to, to save life or destroy life, changed everything when he said, it's on the Sabbath. Is it right to do it on the Sabbath? Because these guys thought they were the Sabbath experts. And then Jesus answered his own question by healing the man. He didn't say any more. He just healed the man. They answered the question by becoming furious and by reacting and wanting to plot evil against Jesus. In other words, Jesus was talking about a man in need of healing, and these guys, these leaders of the, of the synagogue couldn't even see that man, nor did they see his needs because they were so preoccupied with getting everything right. Interesting, huh? See, Jesus was making it very plain. The specific day really didn't matter. Doing good mattered and where that good came from. He showed concern for these other guys by just pointing them out, by saying evil, you know, saying is it to do evil or, or, to say, or, or to destroy life? That was them. He was giving them a choice. See, what he was doing was he was communicating that God was present to us always and that we could be present to him. Pharisees were lost in the details of their own importance. See, the Sabbath was God's idea to keep man connected. It's first introduced to us in Genesis 2, 1. Uh, uh, he's just created the heavens and the earth. We got six days there in, in chapter 1. It says, thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it he rested from all the work of the creating that he had done. Okay, so we pick it up at the seventh day. See, God had set the whole universe in order. He had hung the world in it. He had populated, filled the world with function and with beauty. There was so much there. And then he created man on the sixth day, the last of, the, of those working days, he created man and he put man right in the center of it with everything that he would need, even though he said that mankind had to work, had to work it. He had to, had to be a part of it. On the seventh day, his outwardly creative work, uh, his outwardly creative work was accomplished. The Bible says that he rested. God was not tired. All right, that's why we usually rest. God wasn't tired. He had just finished the first component of his plan. Everything was in place. And now he could turn his interest to what he was really concerned about, 
So on the Sabbath day, he pulled away from that work in order to begin a new work. See, he now turned, God now turned to focus on man. It's kind of interesting. Man was the old rabbis in preparing for this. I've read a number of, of, of rabbinical writings about the Sabbath, fascinating. But some of the old rabbis said, isn't it amazing that man's first full day was a day of rest? He'd been created on the sixth and on the seventh day with God, he would have had to have rest. Why? Because the seventh day had been created by God so that we would spend time with him and he could spend time with us. All the other days were different. But one day was set aside. See, the, he had ceased, God had ceased what he was doing, but he, he didn't veg. He didn't just say, okay, I, I am now done. It was him turning his attention to the relationship that he intended to have with us. This was a day for God. It was a day for man. We'll talk about that a little more in a moment. <clears throat> like Dave Predlove there. <clears throat> the Sabbath gave God the opportunity, listen to this, after this beautiful world he had created, the Sabbath gave God an opportunity to focus on me, on Adam, on you. That's what the Sabbath was for. And in doing so, he gave us an open door to the Creator. Jesus never canceled the Sabbath. In fact, he took ownership of it. He, he clarified it. He gave it meaning and direction, and he, he brushed off all this extra stuff that had come to it so that everything that, that the, the Sabbath was meant to be could now fully be available to us. Jesus did stuff like this. He did it all the time. Like he, he took the, the sacred cow of the temple, this beautiful place where the Jews always went to worship, and Jesus said, oh, yeah, it's, it's pretty remarkable, but every stone's going to be torn down, and in three days, it will be built. He laid claim. He said, he said I'm the temple, that this isn't going to be the temple anymore. I'm the temple. He talked about the law. He said, yeah, that law, that's been something, but I've come to complete the law. Not to wipe it out, but it, all of it's pointing towards me. Now we can have life instead of law. And so now he was taking claim of the Sabbath. He was making the Sabbath his own and, and saying, no, you don't understand. The Sabbath is about God having relationship with us and, and us having relationship with God. So he said all of these crazy things about the Sabbath. Let's just take a look at what the Sabbath was meant to be. See, God created the Sabbath for rest. Uh, it says he blessed the seventh day and he made it holy uh, because on, uh, he rested all of, from all of his work, uh, from all the creating he had done. Again, of course, Genesis 2. So two things that he says there, God blessed the seventh day and he made it holy. So those two things are of great interest when we talk about what the Sabbath was supposed to be about. First of all, it was blessing. God blessed the day. In other words, his intention from the very beginning was to do good. It was to be a moment of giving, a moment of support, a moment of restoration. In the Hebrew, it, it, it literally means to kneel. Um, 
That's what the the word blessing here means, a little different word. It means to kneel, but, but here's the picture. It's God kneeling to meet us, and we are kneeling to worship him. The Sabbath was meant to be a day where God connected, where he came voluntarily. We couldn't demand that he come out of the heavens for us. He voluntarily came out of the heavens because he wanted to be with us. We return that goodness by stopping and worshiping and recognizing and knowing that, in fact, he is the only source of life. That's a blessed day. Then he said it was a holy day. Holy, um, this day was set aside to make a difference from all of the other six. It was going to be a different day. That's what the word holy means, something that's set aside for a sacred purpose purpose. It was sanctified to have a unique function in this whole progression of the week. This whole seven-day thing got set here. Uh, of, of everybody in the world goes on this seven-day seven pattern, but, but it was built around God wanting to function with us. It, it, the day was sanctified to be unique in this progression. That unique function meant that God owned the day. It was his day. It was not my day, but he invented it because he knew I needed it. He gave it to me. He gave me privilege of, con- of conversing, of-, of relationship, because he wanted to have relationship with me. See, rest defined by the goal of the Sabbath wasn't personal liberty or unfettered leisure. It, at, at, uh, at times, you know, the Sabbath can get really uncomfortable because God begins to go to work in this relationship and not everything's easy. It can be very convicting when he gets hold of me. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> that was noisy. See, of course there was going to be rest. Of course there was going to be some physical pulling aside and recouping, but it wasn't just an activity that God was talking about. He was talking about you and I reposing in his presence having this moment of being able to have God bring refreshing and, rest- and restoration to my life. It's, it's right to do good on the Sabbath. That was Jesus' answer. See, what these other guys were doing, they just created a new kind of labor. They had made it hard work to keep the Sabbath. Jesus took that off of their shoulders and gave him himself. Jesus said all kinds of, of wild things about, to these Sabbaths. Every, every gospel has encounters with the Sabbath keepers, all four gospels. And, and it was in those moments that Jesus sometimes said spectacular things, mind, mind-blowing things, you know, like, Poof! this is where the preacher's supposed to say, now everybody repeat after me. <laughs> Not one of you did it. I am so disappointed. In other words, what Jesus was saying in Matthew 12, 8, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He said that to the Sabbath keepers. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. What he said was, the Sabbath is mine, baby. I'm in charge of the Sabbath. It belongs to me. I'm the Lord of it. In fact, I am the Sabbath. Do you understand why these guys were a little upset? Because not only was Jesus laying claim, these guys also knew that only God could be the Lord of the Sabbath. 
even though they weren't recognizing him as such. Jesus was laying claim to his own deity. He was telling him, I'm God. See, what he was saying is, if there's gonna be rest, if there's gonna be connection, if there's gonna be anything that the Sabbath has promised, it will only be found in me. I am your Sabbath. See, this is what Jesus was saying when he would say in Matthew 11, come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. You can quit that laboring under this, under this religious system. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Oh, not all work is gonna be done. I'm not finished with work. It's not some lazy response. This is just now I start doing his work instead of that work, that other thing that stole my soul. See, he says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That's the Sabbath. That's Jesus describing the Sabbath, and it's yours. God created the Sabbath both for man and for himself. This is, this is a, in the Genesis account. Um, the, well, the next place we deal with the Sabbath is in the Ten Commandments, in Exodus. When God has pulled them out of Egypt, and he's going to give them a new identity. He's going to give them a new lens, because right then, their lens was that of, of seven-day-a-week slaves. They were at the mercy of Pharaoh and whatever it was he wanted to build. God pulled them out of that, and now he was going to reestablish who he was. It's kind of interesting because as he gives the Ten Commandments, he gives this very sobering reminder. This is in Exodus 21. God spoke these words that he said, I am the Lord your God, I want to identify myself, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And then he starts to give the commandments. Uh, you know, you shall have no other gods before me. He goes down the list now of the things. But he wants to remind them, what, what's the context of me giving this to you? He, the context is this. You were that, and now you're this. Pharaoh was a brutal taskmaster. Egypt was a bad experience. How many of you know that when you were out in the world, it, there was a, it was a wicked taskmaster that you served? The Pharaoh... Was, was mean and, and ugly and the sin and the, and the dependencies and all of the things that were in my life. And God comes to you and says, listen, I'm changing your identity. You are no longer there. I'm the one who brought you out. Now you shall have no other gods beside me. You get the picture? It's in the middle of that then, the Ten Commandments that he gives us the the, the Sabbath, it's, it's the longest portion. The longest one of the commandments is about the Sabbath. It's kind of interesting when, when you read it. See, this is God. He's, he came to position Israel, to reposition them in a place to be God's people, the place they were meant to inhabit because he was going to give them a new identity and a new life, and their new identity and their new life was going to be found only in him and no place else. See, God's good. That's what Jesus was trying to say. Is it right to do good or to do, to do evil? He was pointing out, God's good, and I'm good. 
connected to God, man is refreshed and he's renewed. When we're separate from him, when we're doing our own thing, we become drained of life. It might be a slow drain, but a lot more is going out than is get, get, uh, getting put back in. The Sabbath is about putting it back in. Jesus also said in Mark 2.27, he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, this was God's, but he gave it to us so that we might have relationship with him. But the Sabbath is also for God. It was for us, but also for God. The old rabbis, the ancient rabbis taught that God looked forward to the Sabbath because it's the day that we would be with him. All other six days, we we would be consumed by our own lives, but on that one day, we would be turning in his direction. And why that was so exciting to him was because he wanted to be with us. The rabbis also taught that even when man was forced out of Eden after their sin, that the one thing they took with them was the Sabbath. It's an interesting thought. God removed them from everything else that had had been the perfection of their relationship with him that we chose in our rebellion to not support. But the rabbis believed that the Sabbath went with them. Why? Because even though they had sinned against God, God still wanted to be with them. And they could be with him. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Let me say one last thing about the Sabbath and we'll be done. All of the language there that I I was reading out of Exodus of of the Ten Commandments and the law was collective. God meant for the Sabbath to be kept together. The charge was given to the masses, not the individual. It was meant to be celebrated together. We were meant to meet God together because God wanted to meet us together. It wasn't just our meals and our possessions that the Bible talked about, but it's also our worship our spiritual resources, whatever God has deposited in each one of us as independents, as as individuals that we bring to the table, that if I don't come to the table, my contribution is missing. It's not there. The church really isn't the church unless it's together. Functioning together, God is glorified. Together, God becomes visible. The Sabbath was meant to be celebrated with family, especially with spiritual family. We were never meant to keep God to ourselves. Neither were we meant to exclusively worship by ourselves. Our faith is not a do-it-yourself experience. You got it? It's not meant to do it yourself. It was meant to be done together. Eugene uh, Peterson said, A Christian congregation is a group of people who decide together to pay attention. That's what we do here. Now, one one ancient rabbi saw the fourth commandment as a bridge, a, a bridge between the first three commandments that talk about us loving and serving and obeying God, and then the the last five who talk about the way that we honor and treat one another. 
and he saw the bridge to be the Sabbath, the thing that God, our worship of God in the proper place where God and, and I met and met and God met with me, but there had to be a bridge because this had to translate. It had to move over into my treatment of you. The way I, I treat you and love you and care for you. This is what Jesus was trying to communicate on that day to the Sabbath keepers. Is, there, is it right to do good or to do evil? To save life or to destroy it? The answer should have been easy for them because there's a bridge, this thing of my paying attention to God. In Christ, does everyone understand that in Christ, the Sabbath is with us every single day? I mean, it's important that we have a day singled out where we do exactly what we're doing here, where we can be together. But Jesus was making it known that now we don't just do Sabbath together, we do life together. And it changes everything doesn't it? Matthew 18, 19. Again, truly I say to you, if two of you on earth agree as touching anything that you ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, I will be there. He says, I'm not going to miss a chance like that. Man, I got three Christians to agree. They're getting together. I'm not going to miss that. And the Father shows up. Says in Galatians 6, 2. Carry each other's burdens, for in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Oh, a law. Got another law. This is the law of Christ. This is the law of liberty. This is the law of healing. This is the law of restoration that we can only find in Christ. He says, how do we do it? How do we fulfill the law? Carry one another's burdens. Oh, I thought it was going to be something easy. I just turned on Caleb. No, in the car. And I have done mine for the day. Jesus is saying, Paul is saying, no, to fulfill the love and the law of Christ, you've got to serve one another. See, I'm skipping like a really great quote here because we're time. I wish you guys could see what I'm seeing here. (laughs) Jesus is... Jesus' question is a question for all times. It's not just about doing good or evil. It's about doing good or evil out of the place that God furnished. He furnished it in Christ. He furnished it in the Holy Spirit. He furnished it and gave us a brand new life. And that life means something. For eternity, it means something. And out of that life, I begin to give back to a world that really, really needs what has been deposited in you. So the Sabbath is a moment. It's whatever moment I take to stop. It's whatever chance I take, uh, I take to turn in God's direction and then whatever I receive to turn it in somebody else's direction. It's an opportunity for restoration. It's an opportunity to care for somebody. It's an opportunity to do good and to create life. It's a moment we have to care for. The mark of being God's children, of truly being God's children, is that people can actually see what family we belong to. Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth. 
that Jesus slammed us with, Father, hoping even those guys that were listening, the Sabbath keepers, would get it. That, Lord, the Sabbath was about connection. It was about relationship. It was about restoring ourselves in you so that our new lenses, Lord, our new identity would come only through seeing you. Father, I pray you give us all, help us to to be suspicious of anything we've created for ourselves that helps us get through. Lord, and help us to turn to you because seeing the uh, the world the 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 way that you see it, Lord, has to be one of the best gifts that you've ever given us. Help us to act on what we see. Bless your people, Father. Bless our nation. And this week when we celebrate our birth, that, God, we never, ever believe that we can do this without you. Thank you for the church, Father. Thank you for your goodness. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Life Church Reno podcast. Remember to subscribe to hear more messages like this, and we'll see you soon.